So I hope everybody is uh, recognizing the changes that are going on in here. I think it's pretty exciting. Um, I remember I was, I was a little nervous, I didn't say this, but I was a little nervous that uh, when, when we walled this up, it might feel smaller in here. But it really feels more expansive, I think, which I like. Um, so, but yeah, Steve has been working very hard in here, Steve Bell. Let's, let's give Steve a, some thanks. Um, he's, really, he's really been uh, putting a lot of time into it, and um, I think it's coming along really nicely. So I'm excited to see the final product, which shouldn't be too long from now. I don't know exactly how long it'll take, but it's exciting. Um, so we are starting our third week in Colossians. And uh, before we get into that, though, um, I just wanted to say I'm starting my seventh week here as pastor. I still feel new, um, but I was reflecting on that, that it's been seven weeks at this point. And I realized that I really don't want to let any more time go, and go by <clears throat> without saying that something that I value a lot is being an approachable pastor. Uh, I just want to put that out there. Like, I, I, If you have something on your mind that you want to talk about, if you want to have a question about scripture or theology, or I, I can't promise I'll always have an answer, um, but if you, if you want to talk about those sorts of things, I want you to feel comfortable uh, talking to me. So my email is ryan at stpaulsquired.org. And so anytime, I check it multiple times a day. One of the few times I don't check it is when I'm standing up here. So, uh, but yeah, uh, anytime you want to contact me, please don't hesitate. So, so continuing our series in Colossians, uh, the passage we're looking at this afternoon comes from chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And uh, we do have a, I noticed we have a couple Bibles over there. Since we don't have the projector today, those, today might be a day where if you don't normally bring your Bible, you might want to use one of those. Or, um, but if you do bring one, this is a good day to, to have it open, because I'm going to focus on that text, but I'm also going to jump around a little bit. So this is Colossians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 8. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Okay. Just wait for rustling to stop. All right. Uh, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Let's say a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the chance to look at it together. And... Lord, we just pray that you would uh, open up our minds and our hearts to receive what you want to tell us. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, but I pray that you would uh, go beyond my words, Lord, um, that you would speak directly to hearts and minds with your truth. Um, And uh, we just pray that you would enlighten us, God, uh, give us perspective on what we are reading right now. In Jesus' name. So, a friend of mine who doesn't believe in God 
uh, once confided to me that he had been feeling depressed. And when I asked him why, he gave me a really interesting answer. He said, I feel depressed because every day I look at the world around me and I just don't know what's going on. Now, my friend is a really smart guy. He's actually a scientist. He knows a lot of things about a lot of things. Uh, So in a sense, he does know a lot about what's going on. But what he meant was that he doesn't know what's really going on. My friend wanted answers to big questions. Questions like, why is there something rather than nothing? Where did all these physical laws come from that I'm always learning about? Is there a purpose or a point to all of this? My friend was longing for answers to what you might call questions of ultimate significance. The big questions. And he wanted to know what's really going on. And whether or not he realized it, he was longing for God. But my friend had adopted a particular philosophy, this particular way of looking at the world, that prevented him from ever answering those questions in a satisfying way. And so he felt depressed. You might say he felt hollow. And in our passage today, Paul warns us not to be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy. He reminds us that there are ways of looking at the world, ways of understanding what's going on, that are false and that don't do us any good. And my friend's atheism is, I think, an example of a pretty hollow philosophy. Because if we don't believe that God exists, and when it comes to these questions of ultimate significance that we have, we're left with pretty much one answer, which is we came from nothing, for nothing, and we'll eventually become nothing. And that doesn't do much for me. Um, and it didn't seem to be doing much for him either. He longed for a better answer. And if Paul was writing it to us today, I think he would definitely include atheism among the hollow and deceptive philosophies that we encounter. But what I want us to realize is that hollow and deceptive philosophies are usually much more subtle than something like atheism. They're usually a lot less easy to spot. And there's clear evidence of that in this passage because Paul says that these hollow and deceptive philosophies develop because of the basic principles of this world. The basic principles of this world. This means that these philosophies develop out of ideas that most people just take for granted as being true. They're basic principles, which means most people probably think of them as common sense. And yet, these ideas, they're actually toxic. They're opposed to Christ. So these philosophies that we need to avoid aren't always very obvious. Now, one thing I want to mention is that there's some debate over how to best translate the phrase that the NIV translates as basic principles. Uh, Some translations say basically the same thing. The King James Version says the rudiments of this world. Um, The New American Standard says the elementary principles of this world. So those are basically the same. But there are some translations that say the elemental spirits. Uh, The ESV is included among those. So it's implied that there are demonic forces that have very widespread influence and that help to create these hollow and deceptive philosophies. 
Now, I tried to do some study on my own of the Greek there and figure out what's going on, whether it is actually a reference to demons or not. And I'll be honest with you, I can't figure it out. I'm not sure. So, um, but whether it's demons who are creating these hollow philosophies or just the patterns of this world, the point we need to recognize is that the ideas that lead to these hollow philosophies are very, very common. Uh, they're basic. They're elemental. They're rudiments, right? If we were fish, these ideas would be the water that we are swimming in. Uh, and so it's easy for them to go unnoticed. And in turn, it's easy for us to be taken captive by them. So what are some of these basic principles? Well, we definitely don't have time to try and identify all of them. There's probably a lot of them. But today, I just want to point out a few. I just want to identify three of them, three basic principles. So if you're taking notes, you can go one, two, three, and fill them in as we go along. Keith printed the notes out early this week before I had a chance to really work on the sermon because he's been gone. Boy, let me tell you, I miss Keith when he's not here. <laughs> Amen, yes. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know, but right now he's off on the Appalachian Trail with some guys from church, so you can pray for them. I guess it was like 32 degrees last night, but I got a text from him this morning, so he's, I guess he's alive and well. <laughs> All right, so number one, uh, one basic principle in the world is retaliation. So if someone wrongs us, we usually feel justified in taking revenge and doing something to get back at them. Now, I'm not talking about simply protecting yourself or your loved ones from further danger after someone's wronged you. Uh, that's not what I mean by revenge. But revenge is when you actively try to hurt the person who hurt you in some way. And if you feel justified in doing that, that's because you believe in the principle of retaliation. Now, I don't think this principle is quite as strong in the culture around us as it once was, but it's definitely still alive and well in the world. In fact, uh, a significant figure in present-day politics, I won't say who, uh, has been quoted as saying, if you don't get even, you're just a schmuck. So, in the days of Moses, the principle of retaliation was very strong. It was so strong, in fact, that it was kind of out of control. And so, when God gave the law to Moses, he included a law that helped to restrain the amount of revenge that was going on. Uh, we can find it in Exodus 21. It's a, it's a familiar verse. He said, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So, in those days... As still happens today, uh, people were, were responding to offenses by doing something even worse to their offenders. And so the law, eye for an eye, was a way to stop that, because it said the punishment had to match the crime. If somebody knocks out your eye, you can't kill them for that. You can knock out their eye, but you can't kill them. The punishment has to fit the crime. But then, in the New Testament, Jesus comes along, and do you remember what he says? He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
Now, that's a really hard teaching to accept. In principle, it might sound nice, but when we actually try to live it out, that's tough. Because the principle of retaliation is very deep in us. It seems like a basic principle of how the world should work. And yet, Jesus doesn't want us to conform to that basic principle. If we're we're wronged, he tells us, don't seek revenge. Don't retaliate. Now, I want to clarify one thing. I think this is important. Uh, Jesus is not saying that if we're in relationships where there's a pattern of abuse, that we should just accept that. Uh, If you're in a relationship where there is a pattern of abuse... I encourage you to seek help because I don't believe that's God's will for you to be stuck in that situation. Uh, Jesus' command here is not a command to accept abuse. What it is is a command to forego retaliation and to love our enemies and those who harm us as we do that. So there's a big difference there. But the command to forego retaliation, even if it's not a command to accept abuse, is still revolutionary. It's a huge offense against one of the basic principles of this world. And it's very easy for us, if we're not reminding ourselves of what Christ said, to just go along with the principle of retaliation. But we have to choose to base our philosophy not on the basic principles of this world, but on Christ. Okay, number two. Second basic principle of the world is that you need more things. You need more things. This is a principle that is really strong at this time in history because we're constantly bombarded with advertisements. I read about a study recently that claimed that we're exposed to about 362 ads a day. And that's counting TV, internet, radio, uh, magazines, and newspapers. 362. And each one of those ads is saying to you, you need this thing. Or this thing will make your life better. Or, if you don't have this thing, you're going to miss out. Or, this thing will make you cooler, or smarter, or better looking. So every day, we receive this steady message. You need more things, you need more things, you need more things. And that message, if we're not careful, it creates a lack of contentment in us. Now, you might think, as I sometimes do, well, advertising, that doesn't affect me. But whether we want to admit it or not, Advertising does influence us. It does. If you need proof, just think about how much money companies will pay for Super Bowl ads. In 2016, CBS charged $5 million for every 30-second commercial. So that's uh, $166,666 a second. So companies aren't paying that money for no reason. They're paying it because they know it works. It's going to pay off for them. I remember when I was a kid and my parents first explained to me that the, re- the whole reason TV shows exist, because I loved TV as a kid, you know, the whole reason TV shows exist is because of advertisements. I was blown away. What? Really? I mean, you guys know how it works, right? The whole reason that TV networks make money is because advertisers pay them to broadcast their advertisements. But no one wants to turn on a TV and just watch advertisements. So the networks buy TV shows that people will actually want to watch to put in between the commercials. That's the whole idea. So, you know, if the whole system of TV exists because of advertising, advertising works. It's powerful. So it's all around us, and it influences us. 
And the message we hear from it over and over is, you need more things, you need more things. But in contrast, Christ says in Luke 12:15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, be careful, guys, because you probably don't need more things. And things, no matter how many you have, aren't going to give you an abundant life. Finally, a third basic principle of the world is that if there is a God, we get to him by following a lot of rules. If there is a God, we get to him by following a lot of rules. Now, the last two basic principles that I've mentioned come from other places in Scripture besides the book of Colossians. Uh, But this one definitely comes directly from this book. If you still have your Bibles open, just look over to the next page on uh, Colossians 2.20. It says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, there's that phrase again, the basic principles of this world, Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack value in restraining sensual indulgence. The problem in the Colossian church was that rather than focusing on Jesus and his sacrifice as the way to peace with God, the people were beginning to focus on following lots of rules as a way of having peace with God. And don't get me wrong, rules have their place in our lives. God cares about how we live. Notice, Paul says at the end of verse 23, he says, these rules that he's talking about, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So, clearly Paul isn't saying that we should just live a life where we just do whatever we feel like. Because we should be restrained from sensual indulgence, from sin. But what Paul's saying is that there are rules that people create that don't help us to turn from what's really sin at all. In fact, it might actually even make it harder for us. Now, you might wonder, as I sometimes do, why would anyone create unnecessary rules? It doesn't sound like any fun. Why would people do that? Well, the text here doesn't really tell us exactly, but I think it happens because we want to feel like we're in control and like we can do something that will make God owe us. We like to feel like we can earn peace with God. We like to feel like we're not indebted to God, but that God is indebted to us. Like we're more holy and beautiful in God's sight than most other people. And so we create these rules in order to have something to follow that satisfies that illusion. And this is what you might call the religious spirit, in the worst sense of the term. And Jesus wants to set us free from that spirit. He wants us to trust in him, not in ourselves. And this tendency to create unnecessary rules is alive and well. In a a lot of churches. A friend of mine grew up in a church where uh, none of the women were permitted to cut their hair. It was against the rules. Don't ask me why. I certainly can't find that in scripture. But uh, when my friend was a teenager, this was around the time that it was in fashion for girls to have bangs. And uh, 
You can't very well have bangs if you can't cut your hair. But what some of the girls would do is they would break their hair. They would, like, pull it so that they could have bangs. So technically, they weren't breaking the rule, right? So they're still in right standing with God. Uh, but they're also still being fashionable, too, to the best of their ability. And I just think that's really heartbreaking. If Paul was writing to that church, I'm pretty sure he'd have something to say about that. I think he'd say, since you, died to Christ, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not cut your hair, as if that'll make you holy. Come on. When we choose to look at the world, not through the world's basic principles, but through Christ, we learn that we don't get to God through a lot of rules. We get to God through his grace, through what Jesus has done for us. And that frees us to live non-anxious lives that aren't about earning God's favor, but are about truly loving God and our neighbors. In Jesus' day, the spiritual leaders of the time were a group called the Pharisees, and they had created a lot of man-made rules. And they had a very strong religious spirit, and uh, that had, they had bought into the basic principles of the world, the basic principle that you get to God by following lots of rules. But in contrast to the Pharisees, Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, I'm not calling my disciples to a heavy burden of meaningless rules and regulations. I'm calling them to an abundant life of loving God and loving their neighbor. So it's okay to cut your hair. (laughs) Okay, so those are three basic principles of the world that Christ challenges. Retaliation, you need more things, and the way to get to God is through following lots of rules. It's just a few, there are more, but those are three to consider. Now, what I want us to recognize now about all three of those basic principles is that it is so easy to drift toward accepting them. The path of least resistance is to follow those principles. Those principles are the water that we're swimming in. So what I want to talk about for the next couple minutes is how we resist them and others like them. Well, Paul tells us in verse 6, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And I want to focus on that phrase, continue to live in him. So the only way that we're going to recognize the basic principles of this world for what they are is if we're living in him, which means allowing Christ and his teaching to shape our perspective. Not just the conversion experience that we had way back when, but a daily living, living in a way where we're allowing who Christ is and his perspective to shape our perspective. And here's one way to think about it, an analogy. So all of us are born into the world with a significant vision impairment. It's bad. We're colorblind. Uh, we have terrible depth perception. Everything we see is fuzzy. And yet, we have a deep desire to understand what's going on in the world, to know what things look like. Like my atheist friend, most of us have this longing. But because of our vision impairment, when we try to explain the world, we never do it justice. So we come up with various philosophies and religions. And some of the stuff we come up with, it has some truth to it, but all of it's flawed. Some of it's dangerous. Because we just don't have eyes to see things 
as they really are. But Christ is like a perfect set of prescription lenses. Uh, Christ lenses, if you will. And when we look at the world through the lens of Christ's life and teaching, we're able to see things as they actually are. We have clarity. Things are brought into focus, depth is restored, colors vibrant, and we're able to see through the basic principles of this world and find freedom from them. But here's the thing. If we're going to recognize the hollow and deceptive philosophies of the world for what they are, we have to put on our glasses. And just like with real glasses, sometimes we don't do that. Now, I'm fortunate to have made it this far in my life without needing glasses. I know it's going to happen eventually. It seems to happen to everybody. Um, But I've known a lot of people who should be wearing glasses but don't. Uh, Probably all of us know somebody like that. Maybe that's you. Uh, Maybe you've been in a passenger in a car at some point, and your friend who was driving said, Hey, what does that sign say? And you said, You can't read that? And they're like, Nah, I left my glasses at home. And you thought, Great. Uh, If we need glasses, but we don't wear them, there's usually a couple of reasons why. And I think they parallel the same reasons why we often don't put on our Christ lenses. Uh, For example, one reason we might not wear our literal glasses is because we don't like the way they look. They seem unfashionable, not cool, so we try to get by without them. And in the same way, sometimes we avoid putting on our Christ lenses because it just doesn't feel like a very fashionable thing to do. Christ's teaching isn't always in style. So another reason we don't wear our glasses is because we're proud. We want to feel like we can get by without them. We want to feel like our bodies are strong enough on their own that we can just do things without any assistance. So we don't wear them. And in the same way, admitting that we need our Christ lenses in order to see things as they actually are is humbling. And sometimes we don't want to feel humbled. And then a third reason we don't wear our glasses is just because we're forgetful and distracted. Sometimes we're in too much of a rush. We've got too many other things on our minds, so we run out of the house, we just leave them behind. And in the same way, sometimes we neglect to put on our Christ lenses because we're just too, too distracted. You know, we're caught up in the concerns of the world, our jobs, our families, hobbies, entertainment. So we just don't take the time to pray or to read scripture or spend time in God's presence. And then we're more susceptible to the basic principles of the world. Whatever the reason, this afternoon, I just want to encourage us to put on the glasses. Just wear them. Because without them, we will drift towards those hollow and deceptive philosophies. And God doesn't want us to be in bondage to those philosophies. He wants us to be free. So he's given us eyes to see, and let's use them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you we have the power to see through uh, much of the deception in the world. Lord, we recognize that there are forces at work in the world that are always trying to rob us of, of peace and contentment and of the truth. So Lord, we ask for your for for your help in uh, recognizing those things for what they are. We pray that we would rest 
in the truth that in you we have all that we need. That uh, we don't have to follow a million rules in order to know you and be accepted by you. Uh, That through Christ we can have life and have abundant life. So Lord, I just ask that you continue to help us see through the basic principles. To avoid hollow and deceptive philosophy. And we thank you, Lord, that, uh, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We pray that we would experience that. In Jesus' name, amen.